Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and today I'm stepping away from my normal podcasts to offer something a little different. My guest today is Kara Wojcik who's been a friend of mine for many, many years. Kara, I won't tell them how long, I promise. (laughs) Kara is a licensed clinical social worker, and I'll let her tell you more about what keeps her busy. But today we're going to be speaking about worth and shame and healthy boundaries. I've seen a need for a podcast like this since I moved to Salt Lake City a couple years ago. A majority of my work has been with people who have left the LDS church or who are thinking about leaving the LDS church. And what I found is that these people have a lot of need for information like this. As a lifelong Community Christ member myself, I never really understood this until I was at a Sunstone event in Birmingham, England a few years ago. And a woman spoke during one of the sessions and said that once she left the LDS church, her everything crumbled, her moral center, her self-worth, her friends and family the way she saw the world, everything was shattered and she just had to work really hard to rebuild herself. So Kara, I know this is kind of a a tall order to ask, but I'm really grateful that you're here to share your expertise on these matters. So Kara, before we jump into it, tell us more about yourself. Hi, Carla. Uh, Thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. I'm really excited to kind of talk about these things that I talk about on a daily basis, and I'm excited to share it with the church. Um, like you said, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I ha- am a social worker at a school, and I specialize a lot in anxiety and depression in adolescence, kind of talking about self-esteem. And then I also have a private practice where I do couples and individual counseling, a lot of work also on suicide prevention, anxiety, depression, and shame has kind of been my new buzzword. And so I was really excited when we started talking I think that some of the things that I'm working on and you're working on could kind of combine in a good way. Oh, that sounds really good. So you keep super busy, it sounds like. Yes, I do. (laughs) That's good. Busy is good. I feel like I'm always kind of reading and learning and, you know, sometimes the more you know, the less you know. Even just preparing for this talk, even though I love talking about this stuff, I found myself reading more and more because I think that there's so much to learn when we're talking about our mental health and how to heal some of those open wounds, which we all have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I said that people who leave the LDS church have these, but you are absolutely right. Everybody walks around probably needing to hear this stuff every once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. So Kara, I guess one of the, you just said buzzword, one of the buzzwords <laughs> in my life now has kind of been the word worth. In Community Christ, we have an enduring principle, the worth <laughs> of all persons. In the LDS church, they have something called a worthiness interview. So like we have it on both sides, the word worth. We have it in the LDS church, we have it in Community Christ. But I kind of want to set that aside for right now and talk about where does our worth come from? Okay, right. So that's kind of a little question, right? It seems pretty simple, but there's a lot of ways you could go with that. I think our worth comes from the way we perceive ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves. And so I think your worth starts at a very young age um, with experiences and in your family, what is valued when you're young. So is there value placed on what you do or is there value placed on who you are? So in some families, our value is placed on, did we make the team? Did we get an A, you know, accomplishments and external things? 
And in some families, our worth is placed on internal things. Did you make healthy choices? Are you a kind person? Are you loving? Are you caring? I think that it's more important, in my opinion, that our internal worth is based, our worth is based on internal things which we can control instead of external things which we can't control. And so what starts happening is if our worth is only based on external things, what happens when bad things happen, right? If I don't make the team, if I don't meet my perfect man, if I don't be asked to become a priesthood member, does that mean that I'm not good enough? And that's where the idea of shame kind of creeps in. And we've talked about that being a shame word. So shame and worth, in my mind, go together because guilt says that I did something wrong and shame says that I am a bad person. And so I think it's really important to kind of understand the correlation between shame and thinking that I'm not enough and how that affects my self-worth. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, you've already kind of blown my mind. I was, because I, I think you're exactly right. I, I don't know how you feel about this. I was just, ugh, sorry, on Facebook and I watched this Brene Brown TED Talk and she was talking about I shame. watched that too. Yes, she is the mother of all people. Everyone should watch Brene Brown's TED Talk on shame and vulnerability or read her books, Staring Greatly, or Gifts of Imperfection, or Rising Strong. She is a shame and vulnerability researcher, and she has amazing things to, sh- to say about the idea of shame and worth and worthiness. Kara, in your practice, do you, do you talk with a lot of people who put a lot of that pressure on the, those external things? Or is that what who yes. you talk to mostly? So every time I meet with a student in the high school, I say, are you good enough? I ask everybody that. And I would even ask listeners to say, are you good enough? And they always pause and they look at me and they say, yes. And then they get this smile and I'm like, well, tell me what you mean. They say, well, as long as I make the team or as long as I get a good grade or they'll say no. And I'll say, why? And they'll say, well, I mean to my brother or, you know, I'm a failure. And so then I'll say, convince me that that's true. What evidence is there that you're not good enough? So they'll try to come up with all this evidence. They'll say, well, I lost my job. Or, well, I got in a fight with my, my sister or my mother. Or, well, I made a bad choice. And so then I say, okay, you need to go outside on the megaphone and you need to tell everyone if you make bad choices or if you don't make the team, then you're not good enough. And they go, no, 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 that's not it. And I go, well, that's what you said. And the rules can't be different for you. Right. And they always get this smile and they kind of get it. So it starts with, you know, the way you feel about yourself is your GPS for the world. So if I don't feel good about myself, and we'll talk about this later, probably it's going to be harder for me to set boundaries. It's going to be harder for me to walk away from unhealthy relationships. It's going to be harder for me to stand up for myself. So that's why for me, all about self-worth and it's all about what are the stories that I'm telling myself about my worth? Oh, wow. So, so what happens to people when, if, if everything that they know is resting on these external things in their life, if their worth is resting on that, what happens when that is taken away, when all of those things are taken away? Well, I think you crumble, right? And then we numb the pain. And then it, the pain is so bad because what's happening is essentially the world is telling me what I already know about myself. So the world is telling me I'm a failure and I know that I'm a fail, a failure. The world is confirming what I quote already know about myself. And that I can't handle that because maybe I don't have those coping skills to deal with it. So I turn to addiction. So I turn to abuse. So I turn to numbing with sex, uh, with pornography. I mean, all of these things. And then that, then we have shame about those choices because we haven't learned how to deal 
you know, negative things are going to happen. But what's the story I tell myself? I want to say life is hard. I can do hard things. But if I have negative self-worth, I will say life is always hard. I am not good enough. I'm a loser. Life always sucks. I can't do this. I want out. And so then we make those choices to keep us from doing our work to just try to numb the pain and get away from it. And that is really where some of the trauma happens. And that's where the breakdown happens. And that's when people find themselves in a really dark, messy place. Yeah. Like on that Brene Brown TED talk, she said that shame is highly correlated with, like you said, addiction, violence, bullying, eating disorders, aggression, suicide. Right. And Brene, and I actually just watched that same one, Carla, and Brene Brown says, the more you talk about shame, shameful things, the less they become shameful. And see, our secrets make us sicker. And so sometimes in families, we have all these secrets. And I just think there's a lot of shame around secrets. And we really need to be talking about our pain. It always amazes me how many people don't really know about things that have happened in their family. And I say, well, why don't you ask your family? They say, I could never ask my mom that. I could never ask my dad that. But it's like everyone knows. And there's this idea that when we keep it a secret, we keep it locked in the closet. And that's where shame grows and grows and grows. And that's that vulnerability piece of saying, I need help. I can't do this. This is hard. Please help me. I want to be okay. And so if you see, if you see the shift acknowledging that it's not me, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just that sometimes life is really hard. Yeah. I I actually found that to be really true in my own life. When I was really hurting and I ended up going to therapy, I I realized that there was all of these things inside me that I had stuffed down inside me and like zipped up, tried to deal with life just by only having half myself. And when I took those things out, those things that have become moldy and gross and because I didn't even let them see the light of day. When I took them out, they weren't that bad, you know, and I, right. I let them right. out and they, they kind of just went away after that. I don't know if that's true for everyone. That was just true in my own life. So, I love your analogy, your, um, analogy of moldy and gross. I, here's the thing is we're all kind of walking around with scars. Our scars tell our story because we, we all have our stuff. We all have pain. Healthy people are going to therapy. Healthy people are going to their church members and talking about what's really going on. And what happens is if you don't, then you have like an open scar and there's, it's pussy and it's gross and it's bleeding and we keep picking at it. But when we learn to heal and how to heal, then it starts to get rid of the pus and get rid of the grossness. And we'll always have the scar, but it doesn't have to be this open wound. And many adults are walking around, really just children, mimicking adults, but they're in children's bodies. And they're open wounds. And what happens is when trauma occurs, you go back to the, the age of your first trauma when you're older. So if I have conflict as a, as a 30-year-old, I go back to the age that trauma happened. If my trauma happened when I was 12 years old, those are the skills that I have as a 30-year-old to solve those issues. And think of it, what we know about a 12-year-old's brain. It's not fully developed. So, that, so I love, you know, I'm a therapist. And every time I talk, I say, I'm a therapist and I go to therapy. And there's this piece of normalizing it and saying, hey, we're all just trying to do our best work. We need help in this. And it's okay to go and talk to someone who's not biased and can kind of help you, like you said, sift through what's really going on and what's some of the mold that I just kind of need to get out. Oh, it's so true. So we've been talking mostly right now about people who put their worth on external things. What happens when people put worth on internally? What happens when that kind of crumbles or does it ever crumble? 
So again, I think you need to put your worth on internal things, but we need to recognize again, the thoughts that I'm telling myself. So, you know, daily mantras, like I can do hard things. I am good enough. I am love. I am kindness. I am good. I see the good in all. I see the good in myself. And it takes 27 days for something to become a habit. And so I work with my clients and we write down these thoughts on a coping card. And I say, I know this seems really silly, but you have to retrain your brain. You have to rewire your brain. You have to stop playing the tape that you've been playing because we play the tapes over and over and over what we've been told. And see, growing up, we're taught to respect our elders, right? And so often, sometimes our parents are the ones that cause us the most pain. And I say to adults and children that I work with, just because your parents tell you it doesn't mean it's true. And I'd say that for older adults too. And often that's a reflection of their sickness, not your worth. So if my mom or dad says, you're a disappointment, you've let me down, I have to sometimes stop and think and say, but man, what they're saying is not true. And that's a really hard piece, right? Because we're taught to look up to people in our family and our friends, but sometimes they're not, they're steering you the wrong way because of their own hurt and their own pain. So when our self-worth starts to crumble, we have to really stop and think and say, okay, what microphone am I listening to? Am I listening to the negative shame voice or am I listening to the positive love voice? And I decide every day what microphone I turn up and what microphone I turn down. Oh, that's really good. You know, a couple of years ago at Spec, <laughs> a man named Kevin Pierce came and he was a snowboarder and he, he fell during one of his training and, and he ended up with a traumatic brain injury. He was speaking about that and it was really powerful. And one of the things he said was the negative self-talk. You have to stop the negative self-talk because it really does affect you. And uh, he, he made this silly analogy about, you know, I, I dropped my phone in the toilet <laughs> and I immediately started saying, oh my gosh, Kevin, you're an idiot. You're so stupid. And then he stopped himself. He's like, you know, that's not true. I'm not stupid for dropping it. It just happens. It's he really was able to talk himself out of that. And it's something that has stuck with me like for probably five years yeah. about this negative self-talk yeah. and how right. hurtful it truly is. And Brene Brown will say two things, right? It's the idea of not being good enough. And then who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, Carla Long, doing this podcast? So everyone else does it better than you. Who do you think you are, right? You're not good enough. Look, you're not Brene Brown. Look, you could never do a TED Talk. So those are the two pieces. Who do you think you are? And not being good enough are two of the things that Brene Brown talks about that really affect our, the story we're telling ourselves. So if I say, the story I'm telling myself is that I am a loser. So then I'll say, okay, so you're the judge and I'm the jury and convince me that that's true, right? Going back to that piece, what evidence is there that I'm a loser? So I really try to put it back on the person and, the, and then they don't have, I said, there must be so much evidence, right? Because you tell yourself this all of the time. So you know you're a loser, right? Just kind of really playing it up in the dramatic way that people like you and I can do, Carla. And I'm like, convince me that that's true. There's so much evidence. And then they can never think of any evidence. And if they can, right, I always dispute it. So that's a really powerful exercise. So am I good enough? And then what, what evidence is there that that's true? And what evidence is there that that's false? And then what, what microphone am I listening to that's contributing to which am I good enough or not good enough? Oh, that is so important. Oh, I love this. This is awesome. So you've been talking a lot about other uh, healthy ways to cope with it. That's a really, really powerful one. Are there any other ways that you can think of to cope 
with this idea of like when someone's feels like everything in their life is just crumbled when their worth is crumbled, any other ways to cope with that? I mean, I always recommend, like we, we talked about talking to a professional. I think it's important that you examine your tribe. I think it's important to have a healthy group of people. You get to determine who sits at your table. So the people who are sitting at my table and some of us have a hundred chairs and some of us only have four are the people who are sitting at my table, helping me feel good about myself. Do they value me? Do they support my self-worth? In my times of need, are they real? Do they show up for my life? And are they authentic? So I think one thing is see a therapist. I think another one is examine your support system. And is my support system guilt-based? Am I only hanging out with them so I, because I'd feel bad if I didn't? Do I send my representative into the world, which Glennon Doyle Melton talks about sending your representative into the world? Can I fall apart? Can I break down in front of that support system? So again, one would be a therapist, two would be a support system, and three would be kind of really examining your life and looking at the choices that I'm making every day that undermine or value my worth. I tell my clients, I say, I want you to make two lists. I want you to make a list of 10 things you could do that would be your best self and 10 things you could be to do that would not be your best self. And then you decide which column you want to live in. So if I'm living in my unhealthy column, I'm telling myself a lot of lies. I'm not going to my job. I'm making unhealthy decisions. I'm maybe not taking my medicine. I stop going to things that bring me joy like church or extracurricular activities. So all of those things are an important part of finding balance. And again, you can't control what happens, but you can control what you do about it. So examining where are you putting your energy and are you focusing on what's wrong in your life or are you focusing on what's good? And that's the gratitude piece too. Oh, can you speak a little bit more about gratitude? So gratitude is a direct line for joy. And I know even in my own life, there's times I've been so down and out and I'll say to my clients or myself, just do a gratitude journal. And it sounds so silly, but it's so important. So things, and I heard once, never take for granted what someone else is fighting for. And so sometimes when I get stuck in my own internal beliefs of this is not the life I signed up for, this is not the life I want to live, I think, but gosh, I have so much to be thankful for. And that peace, and sometimes it's like, I am thankful that I can get out of bed and take a shower. I am thankful that I can eat an apple. I mean, sometimes it sounds silly, but it's little things like that. I am thankful that I have legs that I can walk with. I am thankful that I have a mom who will just listen to me while I cry. I am thankful that I go to work where I feel valued. Because if you keep telling yourself of all the bad things that happened, then again, our thoughts affect our feelings, affect our behaviors. So if I start my day with gratitude that I'm going to feel joy, I'm going to feel happy, so I'm going to make healthier choices. If I start my day with all the things that are going wrong, I'm going to feel ashamed and depressed and angry, and then I will make unhealthy choices, which will perpetuate my depression and my low self-worth. Boy, that's a pretty powerful piece as well, that gratitude thing. Pretty important. Yes, but hard. Sometimes it's really hard and we, and we discredit the simple, easiest things. And sometimes it's just the simple things. We, we think we need to go do all this self-work and we need to spend millions of dollars and read, million, you know, read all these self-help books and really dive into our family traumas. And yes, that, is off, that can be a part of it, but sometimes it's slow down, gratitude, and be where your feet are, right? Mindfulness. I really like that. Be where your feet are. Oh, I Stop love that. Stop living in the past. Stop worrying about the future. Be where your feet are 
and have thanks. And just doing that and just, I tell my clients, I just want you to get through this next hour. I just want you to get through this next day. We're not worried about tomorrow. I just want you to get through this next day. Tomorrow will come, but I need you to be your best self today. Be where your feet are. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that I found with people that I work with here in Salt Lake is that there, there definitely comes a time when, when we need to set some boundaries, when, when people need to set boundaries, it seems like. Um, so how, how do we create healthy boundaries for ourselves? And how do you even know when healthy boundaries are needed? Like, how do you even know when you need a boundary? Right. And I'm really glad you asked this, Carla, because I think this is something that churches all across America are struggling with. I think we're really great at building community. But then I think when the community breaks down or we feel the need to pull away, again, we feel shame and we feel guilt that we feel like when we are changing our thoughts about the community, then there must be something wrong with us. Again, the shame. What I did, what I think is wrong. So boundary is kind of like this fence that goes around you. Like you could make it an electric fence or it could be like a shield and no one gets to tell you how to live your life and no one gets to tell you what you're doing is right or wrong unless you let them. And this gets really murky with some of, some of my young adult friends and college friends that their parents want to continue to tell them how to live their life, but they don't get to. That's just not their place and we need to learn to stay in their lane. And one of my favorite things is we teach people how to treat us. So if you're letting other people make decisions for you and taking your power away, I don't, it's not that that's your fault, but you have allowed them to treat you like that. And so again, when I have, this is how it goes together. When I know that I'm enough, when I have good positive self-worth, when I know that I'm good enough, I can tell others enough, right? And that makes sense in so many contexts. When I know that I'm enough, I'm confident enough to leave a church that no longer serves me. I'm confident enough to say to the man who's abusing me, no. I'm confident enough to say at my job, I don't like how I'm treated. But the shame piece gets in the way and we'll say things like, who do you think you are? You're lucky to even have a family. You're lucky to have a job. It's just not that big of a deal, right? And so we have to have solid self-esteem and self-worth to be able to set those boundaries. Setting boundaries is hard, hard work. Setting boundaries in your family, I have found, is the hardest work there is. The hardest work there is. And we often have to decide, and I have conversations even with my friends, is it worth it? Is it worth it to set the boundary? And so then you have to think, if I want to live my life in balance and alignment, every time I talk to this person, every time I see this person, what does that do to my, to my alignment? And am I making choices to make sure that they think that I'm okay or to make sure that I'm okay? What's more important, making others happy or myself happy? And it's always that example of when I go on a plane, whose mask do you put on first? And many of my clients will say, you know, my kids. And I'll say, absolutely not. We have to put on our mask first. But we're often taught that that's selfish. But see, people who set boundaries are healthy, not selfish. And that's a really important shift. So setting a boundary is something like this. When you say that to me, I do not feel comfortable. When you come an hour late, it, it is disrespectful to me. When you blank, I feel blank. That's what setting a boundary means. The problem is you're going to set a boundary and people aren't going to like it and they're going to get mad at you and they're going to hate you and they're going to try to make it seem like you're the sick one. And that's where it's really important to have that self-worth and have those two people or that tribe that you're talking to when you go about the work of learning to set boundaries. 
So it kind of sounds like it's, it's a little bit of a, a one, two, one, you have to make sure your self-worth is in place and you're coming from yeah. a place of what's good for me and what I definitely need. And then two, you can set those boundaries in place. So I think of a family where there's addiction and I think of a son or daughter that goes away to rehab and they learn how to set boundaries and they come back and they want to set those boundaries. Well, that family unit hasn't gone to rehab. So you come back and you want to set those boundaries. And so they say, who do you think you are? We're fine. We're not going to change the system. We're not going to change these beliefs. You're the one that needs help. Clearly, you're the one that went to rehab. So then you're faced with this decision. Do I uphold my worth and my dignity knowing that my family could turn on me or do I go back to the way things were? And that's a decision that everyone has to make. And I have friends who uphold their worth and who uphold their boundaries. And I have other friends that say, you know what? It's just not worth it. I want to have that relationship with my parents. And that is in my mind where you're really kind of in a bind. Yeah, that, that definitely makes it much harder. (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, you've kind of touched on this, but what can you do? Like what steps can you take before you put those boundaries into place to like, make sure you don't destroy relationships? Is it conversations beforehand? Is, is it making sure, I don't know, what, what could it be? I can, see your, I can see your brain spinning right now, Carla. It, it totally is. It totally is. <laughs> well, here's the thing. What can I control? I can control me and myself, right? So I can't control if the relationship is ruined. And sometimes setting boundaries ruins the relationship. So it starts off with just having those conversations on that basic level. Say, hey, Carla, can I talk to you? I'm kind of feeling uncomfortable. Every time I'm around you, I feel like even though you're joking, you're kind of digging at me. That makes me not, I'm making up, I'm making this up audience. <laughs> Whenever <laughs> I'm around you, I get really nervous because you know, you joke a lot, but I feel like there's something going on. Are we okay? And then Carla says, oh yeah, 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 we're fine. Cause Carla maybe avoids conflict and then it keeps happening and then it keeps happening. And then Carla asks to hang out with me and I don't want to, right? And I start making excuses. And I start saying, it's not a big deal and I'm busy. When I really just need to say, hey, Carla, if you continue to use humor or to make fun of me, I'm not going to want to hang out with you anymore. Well, if Carla hasn't done her work, she might say, oh, that's so silly. You're so sensitive, Kara. What's wrong with you? And you see that at a really basic, basic um, level. So I can't control what happens with that relationship. A boundary is not telling you how to treat me a boundary is telling you what I won't accept, right? Like I can't tell you that you have to do this. I'm telling you, if you don't do this, this is what I will do. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And actually uh, you're exactly right. I do avoid conflict. <laughs> you, okay. you, you're very good at what you do. <laughs> but I really was just making that up. <laughs> that makes really good sense. That's really, um, cause you can only control yourself. You're absolutely right. When in this conversation, I keep going back to, and I don't know if you want to talk about this, if you're interested in talking about this, but I keep going back to social media and mm-hmm. how toxic it is mm-hmm. out there. I, mm-hmm. I work really hard not to jump into the firing off comments or firing off posts or anything like that, because it, it never ends well, it looks like, but it, it feels like we might be able to set boundaries for ourselves in the 3d world, but in the 2d world, anything goes, we feel like we can say whatever we want. Well, I think at the basic level of many of us, myself included, we, we start our morning and instead of maybe doing gratitude or meditation, we immediately, if you're like me, turn on your phone, pull up Facebook 
And when I enter the world of Facebook, I enter the world of not enough. So for me, I see all these pictures of happy married couples, or I see all these babies, and I immediately tell myself I'm not enough. And so that is a part of my discipline that I'm saying, why am I doing this? So that awareness of, I don't think social media is all bad, but when I'm on social media, does it make me feel better or feel worse? We're also having our worth dependent upon how many people like our pictures, how many people um, like in their comments. Again, going back to my worth is determined upon external things than internal. I will have students at my school say, Ms. Wojcik, if I don't get 200 likes, I, I automatically take that post down. There's also something called FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Have you heard that, Carla? I have. I'm actually somewhat cool, but yeah, I've heard of that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's all, so it's even with adults. If I see that someone had a party or someone was hanging out and I wasn't invited, it, it could automatically trigger those depressive and anxiety transmitters in my head that I don't feel good enough because I wasn't invited to the party. So social media can really be a dagger. And again, it's things that separate us and keep us from connecting. And, you know, everyone talks about all the filters and everyone filters everything on social media. So it's like chapter five, not chapter one. And then we base our value on chapter five instead of what's really going on before that. So I think that that's on all of us. It becomes an addiction, right? We feel really good when people tell us how great we are. But again, going back to your worth is based on external things. And when I'm posting this, what is, what is my goal? And I'm not saying it's bad to post it, but what if no one comments on it? Does that mean I'm not good enough? What am I really seeking? What is the function of my behavior? What is my motivation when I'm posting about my kid's really great grade or I'm posting about all the weight I lost? Again, not saying it's good or bad, but what is the function of my behavior when I'm making that choice? Yeah. I'm really glad you tied the back in the self-worth piece because that makes a lot of sense when your self-worth comes from those external things. Oh man, there's so much in this, Kara. <laughs> right. And so this is the kind of stuff you talk about every day. Yes. Because uh, you work in a high school and you have your own private practice, right? Yes. So Kara... You know, I, I told you that I work a lot with people who have left the LDS church or who are thinking about leaving the LDS church. And um, this is actually a question from someone who did leave the LDS church. She, she asked, how do you validate feelings or emotions while moving forward productively with those boundaries? How do you move through those experiences without letting them, without letting you be defined by them? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question and that can kind of be used with any kind of pain. So I think we have to always acknowledge the feeling. Um, if we skip over that, again, we, when we numb the, Brene Brown says, when we numb the pain, we numb the joy. So we have to dive. I, I like to dive right into the pain. And I say to my clients, this is going to get worse before it gets better. So validating that right now I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel lonely. I feel disgusted, rejected, or disappointed. So what happens is when you get stuck in it, you become a, a participant, right? Like I'm feeling angry. So I want to punch and I want to kick and I want to do all these things. And our goal is to become an observer, right? And so mindfulness is all that I, I acknowledge that I'm experiencing that feeling, but I don't have to get pulled into it. And so the analogy that I like to use too is that when, you, when we get coping skills, therapy and coping skills, it's like a surfboard. So you go on your surfboard and you're riding the waves, okay? So you're riding the wave. I'm going over the wave of anger. I'm going over the wave of sadness. As long as I have my surfboard, I won't get pulled under, if I let go of my surfboard, what happens? You get pulled under, right? You get pulled into it. We cannot get pulled into those emotions. We have to learn how to acknowledge them, feel the pain, but then make the healthier choice. 
when we lose our surfboard and we get pulled into the current, that's when we make, that's when we lash out. That's when we're passive aggressive. That's when we turn to addiction. That's when we maybe are suicidal because we get pulled into the current. We have to find what makes our surfboard and a, a strong surfboard with wood so that we're riding the waves instead of getting pulled into them. Some people try to avoid those feelings because they say, I'm, I'm, I was brought up in a family where I have to be okay. I need to be okay. Healthy people, again, anger is a really healthy emotion, but anger is, is a secondary emotion. Under anger is those things of rejected and disappointed and abandoned. So we have to figure out what is that feeling because the feeling is a function of the behavior. So review. So I want to be an observer and not a participant. I want to acknowledge the feeling. I want to be on my surfboard, but I want to not get pulled into the current. So validate what I'm feeling and then learn how to make the healthy choice. It's always okay to get angry at someone. It's never okay to use hurtful words or to hurt them. And that's a lesson from my five-year-olds up until 95-year-olds. Well, that sounds, wow. So uh, Kara, I think you're a great social worker. I think you're doing a great job. This is so exciting for me. It's so (laughs) important for me to be reminded of these things. I mentioned before about working with Latter-day Seekers and things and And I wonder if you might have like some really specific advice for someone who is thinking about leaving the LDS church. And I've, you're, you're a lifelong community Christ member as well. So you don't know what that would be like either. But like I mentioned before, when you leave the LDS church, sometimes your family and friends aren't your family and friends anymore, or your relationship with them changes. At least you, you feel pain, uh, pain and loss and, sadness, you, you lose a lot when you leave the church. Do you have any specific advice for people like to maybe help get through that? I can't imagine the pain. I honestly can't imagine the pain of leaving a church or leaving a family, you know, and really our church is our family and everything is not good and everything is not bad. So I can imagine leaving that, leaving a church is a really, really hard decision. And again, I'm only going off what I can imagine. I don't know. And quoting Brene Brown again, Brene Brown says, when you don't feel belong, a sense of belonging in your family, that is the deepest sense of hurt. So if I'm sitting in the pews at this church and I'm like, gosh, I love the people, but this theology isn't work, working for me. Or if I'm sitting at my family Christmas and I was like, gosh, I really love my family, but I don't like the way that I feel when I'm around them. That is one of the biggest pains there is. And so it comes down to the point of what is my worth and what's important to me. And, and, it, it, just, and it just steps of how do I feel when I'm in this institution, when I'm in this establishment? Am I my healthiest self? Am I aligned with the person I'm intended to be? Am I the person that God is calling me to be. And I think God is calling us all to live in joy and have peace. And can I be that person while I'm living in this? You know, do I feel put down? Do I feel not good enough? And then you're kind of stuck with this decision. Is it worth it? And I think to be your healthiest self, you have to be in alignment. And for me, in alignment means that I have to be around and supported by people who love me and treat me with kindness and respect. And if I'm in a church or if I'm in a family where I don't feel that, then for me, I think you have to make that choice to set those boundaries. And again, we can't tell you how to treat me. I can just tell you what I'm going to do if it doesn't change. And sometimes families and churches take a line and they don't change. So I can't imagine that pain, but I'm wondering if there's a way, if you could think, you know, you'll know you're ready to change 
when the idea of staying where you're at is worse than the idea of leaving. That's when you know you're ready to change. And so even though there's a lot of pain, you know, and I would love to talk to some of these seekers about, you know, what, what was that final decision like and how many regret it. But I'm wondering if you kind of get to the other side, if you can kind of feel peace and you can and breathe a little bit and you don't feel so heavy. And I think that's how you know you've made the right choice. When you're in alignment, when you feel peace and joy and you don't feel so heavy, like every day is a battle. Yeah, actually, I was speaking with a woman who was a member of the LDS church and then ended up leaving and joining Community of Christ. And I I told her how brave I thought she was for even doing that, because I have no idea if I would be that brave if I were in her shoes. And she said to me, she's like, Carla, there comes a point when there isn't a choice anymore. When like, uh, I think that it was so heavy yeah. on her yeah. that she yeah. couldn't breathe anymore and she had to get away. I don't know if it's true for everyone. I just know that was true for her. Yeah. And I think, again, I don't mean to keep harping on this, but I think it goes back to the, my, my self-worth and what are my beliefs about myself? You know, and am I a person that can see the good in everyone else, but not see the good in me? Am I always apologizing? Which that's a whole different segment. And Janelle Sakima Roberts is an expert on that. But am I always apologizing, you know, or am I standing in my space? And do I know that I deserve to be here just as much as anybody else? And I can't stay in this institution, this family anymore, because I cannot be my highest self. And that's that self-worth piece. Again, when I know I'm enough, I can say enough. And so when I would start working with people, I would start peeling away those layers. I like the analogy of an onion, but who am I on the outside? So on the outside, I come to church and I serve everyone and I'm happy and I stay after and I am always doing the dishes for potluck and I'm always cleaning up and, you know, I'm having the hard conversations and I'm always making sure that everything's taken care of. But on the inside, I'm tired, right? And I'm bitter and I'm lonely and nobody knows this because I'm taught that I have to always show the outside onion layer. But who are you when the mask is off? Who are you on your inner onion layer? And that's the core pieces. And we have to start there and then see once my core pieces are in alignment and healthier, does my core piece want to stay in this family? Does my core piece want to stay in this institution? And sometimes it's not black and white. Leaving a family is not always black and white. But again, is it doing more damage for me to continue living the life that everybody else wants me to live, right? Do Do I choose the life that's best for me or the life that everyone else has thought that I should live? That's another crossroads that many of us face. Oh, Kara, you're bringing up so much stuff for me. When I was, uh, when I became uh, an appointee or executive minister for Community of Christ, you, you have to go through a, a psychological exam. Actually, you have to take all these mm-hmm. tests and um, you have an hour with a psychiatrist and she goes over all the tests with you. And she told me, this is a long time, this is probably 10 years ago. She told me that I was better at hiding who I truly was than anyone else she had ever talked to. And that scared me. I mean, it really scared me that I am that good at hiding who I truly am. So that scared me enough to to start being more and more vulnerable. And my ministry deepened. I became much better friends with people. And I I, I felt, like you said, more free. I was more free to who I truly was. And people loved me just as much as they did before, if not more. Right. Well, and if you, I think it's Brene again, if you trade authenticity for safety, you will be unhappy. And I talk to kids in my high school about that all the time. I go in and do a lesson with seniors and I say, what do your parents want you to do versus what you want to do? And they'll say, well, I really want to be a teacher. But my parents say, you don't make enough money. I need you to be a doctor. Or they'll say, I really don't want to play sports in college. And they'll say, well, you have to, right? And so again, I'll say, how much power are you giving to everyone else to determine what you should live in your life versus 
taking back the power. And that's so hard. That's hard for, for adolescents. That's hard for adults. Because again, it goes back to, if I make this choice, I'm going to let someone down. So then I push back and say, so you're telling me it's okay to let myself down as long as I don't let anyone else down. And that's a scary place that you decide what makes me happy, not me, that your opinion of me is more important than my opinion of me. And again, that's where it comes back to. It all comes back to self-worth. And I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to set boundaries and other people might get pissed off and they might not want to be around me, but that's okay because I have to do what's best for me and my family so I can be in alignment, so I can have peace, so I can have joy, so I can live the life that God has called me to live. Boom. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Mic drop. Super important. You know, I had no idea when we were talking about the enduring principles as a church, how important that, that one was the worth of all persons that everyone has worth no matter what, you know, I, I never realized how important that was. Well, I, I just didn't, but that worth piece is a huge part. It seems like so many things are just built on it. Yeah. When I had my evangelist blessing from um, Dave and Carolyn Brock, and I just love them so much. And they said, which enduring principle do you most align with? And, and I said that worth of all persons. Um, and I think it was probably back then, this is like seven years ago, just because, you know, like, I believe that we all have gifts that deserve a voice. But now, like, as I've been doing this segment with you, I've probably said the word worth 20 times, which is not a coincidence, right? I mean, it really all does go back to self-worth, worth of all persons, helping others find their light, being a light. And that all helps, you know, I just think that there's so much to be said. And I think the church is a powerful vessel for helping us find our worth. But again, we have to be healthy enough to set boundaries, even in churches. And that's probably a different segment, Carla. But I think that sometimes in our churches, you know, there's a lot to get done and not a lot of people to get done. And so we get burnt out. And instead of having the conversation and saying, you're burning me out, I do things out of guilt. And then what happens is I become resentful and we need to learn to have those hard conversations. The conflict is healthy. The confrontation in an appropriate way is good. And I don't think that we as humans are very good at that. We try to avoid that. And when you avoid conflict, it creates more conflict. And I think that I'm just a big believer in speaking your truth and knowing your worth and and learning appropriate ways to communicate. Oh, for sure. When you say, you know, avoiding conflict creates more conflict, usually it creates conflict within yourself, or at least it creates conflict. Right. Because I'm like, Carly, you should talk to them. I don't want to talk to them. Carla, you have to say something. I don't want to say something. Right. So I just carry that around and it becomes one of those moldy, mildewy, gross things that I carry around. Well, and then our our anxiety is kind of selfish, right? Our anxiety says, they don't like you. They're talking about you. Did you see how they looked at you when you walked into church? Why didn't you text me back? Oh my gosh, did I make her mad? She's mad at me because I said, no, I didn't want to preach. Anxiety is like makes it all about us and it's not about us. But it goes back to the story I'm telling myself is no one likes me. I'm alone. They're mad at me. And that's just our anxiety. That's all that is. I mean, anxiety, when it's untreated, it can really ruin relationships because it tells us that everyone's talking about us. And, it, and I'm like, really, it's just not about you. <laughs> I said, they're kind of doing their own thing and they're not even thinking about you. So let's look at that. Yeah, I have to tell myself that every once in a while. It's like, Carla, this has nothing to do with you. Let it go. (laughs) (laughs) We are self-centered, aren't we? We think everything has to do with us. I love your vulnerability. I love how you're like, yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. I do that too. I love it. So Carla's healthy, everyone. She's owning her things on this podcast. 
Well, gosh, Kara, this has been really, really important. And I think just so good for people to hear. I think I'm going to listen to this podcast like three or four more times so that even I start to understand a little bit more. Is there something that you wanted to speak about that I didn't ask you about? Was there something that you're like, ooh, this would be really good for people too? I think that I just want people to know that life can be hard and life is painful, but life is also joy. And to not to not want to run away from the pain and to not also feel guilty. If your life hasn't been as hard as someone else's, your pain is still your pain, right? But someone has always had it worse, but that doesn't mean that, that you're not allowed to be upset and you're not allowed to be sad. So I just want to give everyone permission to know that we all have our stuff. And you need to find those people in your life that validate you and lift you up. And if you're surrounding yourself by people who are dimming your light, life is too short for that. And God wants you to be able to shine your light. And sometimes it takes helping others, helping you learn how to shine that light. So just normalizing that life is hard, normalizing that there is pain, but normalizing that there's always blessing in the pain. And, and it's funny that I'm saying this because I'm going through a pretty painful time in my life right now. But as I just kind of bear back and really kind of take a step back and look where my pain is coming from, I'm starting to kind of see the blessing in the pain. And so that's the challenge is to not try to avoid the pain, but kind of dive into the pain, go to those wounded places and know that eventually it does get better and things will be okay. Now, okay doesn't mean every day is going to be great. And also say, today I'm not okay. Today was not a good day, but tomorrow can be better. Oh, it's so important for people to hear. And you totally just reminded me of the Marianne Williams Williamson quote, of course, about our deepest fear. Um, yeah. Thank you, Kara, so much for being on this podcast for us. And thank you for answering the, these questions to me that seem like super, super hard. And I wouldn't even know where to get started with them. And you just knew them off the top of your head. Like you talk about it every day. <laughs> <'cause> you. <laughs> thank you, Carla, so much for letting me have this opportunity. And, you know, if I can ever be, if, if anyone else has any questions, they can always contact you and you can give my email or phone number. I'm happy to have conversations or help connect people to therapists. And again, healthy people, help, therapy is just kind of talking about what's going on. So healthy people are getting help. And I just so appreciate this time because I just, I think that world peace starts with inner peace. So I'm a big believer in all of us showing up for our life and doing our work. So thank you so much, Carla, for having me and just helping us remind everyone that we do have worth and life is important and we are needed in this world to do our work. Amen. And Hey, if, if you listeners want to hear more from Kara, then just make sure you write, go to projectsionpodcast.org and write your questions or say, hey, we want Kara back and we want Kara to talk about this because I bet that we could talk her into coming back on the show if she wants to. <laughs> Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Kara. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.